You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. It is Saturday morning out there to all of our off-the-shelf Books Talk Radio listeners. I want to start with this thought, and this is from Chris Grosser. Opportunities don't happen, you create them. Opportunities don't happen, you create them. Chris Grosser, living a good life takes courage. And we're going to have a, a guest on today who's going to talk about some things that can sap our energy, some type of personalities, how to avoid that, because it really does take courage. It takes courage to keep getting up and living the life that you really want to live. For our loyal listeners, I want to thank you. We're 16 years in on the radio here at Off the Shelf. For those that might be your first time going over the Internet, dial and listen, catching Off the Shelf. I just want to let you know that you are absolutely listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf. I'm excited. This is a different topic that we're going to be covering today. It's a, a nonfiction book. Uh, we have a, a, a awesome guest on deck. Looking forward to introducing her to you. And hopefully, you come with. If you have questions, if you catch the show midstream, late, or the archives, you can listen to what the our guest shares. And I really do hope that it it offers a breakthrough for every listener, especially who's impacted in the type of relationships that she's going to cover during today's show. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can figure out who's responsible for the murder mystery that covers Raymond and his friends' lives and love pour over me? I also got to ask you, how how much do you value relationships and love? You know, I saw a quote. They said, you know, first thing when it comes to, like, marriages, just get the thought of soulmates out of your mind. Every relationship is going to take work. Just like the the, the quote at the, the start of the show, opportunities don't happen, you create them. We also create good relationships. But there is a wonderful relationship. It's complicated. Actually, two of them, one, Raymond and Brenda, and they are like soulmates in that they are supposed to be together, but that doesn't mean it's always smooth. And then Raymond and his father, the, the man who raised him, he has untreated alcoholism, to see how we shape each other. And, and the friendships Raymond forms at college, which one of the friends is, is involved in the murder mystery, curious to see which one you, can you pick the right person. If you revalue relationships and you like suspense and you also love romance, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. It's in ebook and in print format. So please go go treat yourself to Love Pour Over Me. Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Well, I was uh, doing the research work for this show. I said, oh, my goodness, the numbers of people who could probably benefit from this. And I see a lot of this on social media, people talking about it. But this 
our guest is a doctor. So our special off-the-shelf guest is not somebody just making commentary or opinion. She is a doctor, and it's Dr. Rita Louise. And Rita is the founder of the Institute of Applied Energetics. She is also the host of Just Energy Radio. Rita is a graduate of Berkeley Psychic Institute and the chairwoman of the board for the International Association of Medical Intuitives. She had a Ph.D. in natural health counseling, and she's also served on the board of directors for the Holistic Chamber of Commerce. Books that Rita has written include Stepping Out of Eden, E.T. Chronicles, What Myths and Legend Have to Say About Human Origin, Avoiding the Cosmic 2x4, Dark Angels and Insider's Guide to Ghost Spirits and Attached Entities, and The Power Within. She is also the author of the book, and this is the book that we're going to focus on during today's show, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist. Anybody who's ever been in that knows how painful that can be. I encourage you to check Rita out online at soulhealer.com. Again, that's S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com, S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com. We are absolutely honored to have Rita here with us this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Dr. Dr. Rita. Hey, Denise, it is so good to be with you this fine Saturday morning. Oh, looking forward to what you share. It is just my prayer that somebody who's caught up in this web of this relationship, that something that's shared, it helps them to break free. The first few questions that I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest on the show so our listeners get a little backstory on our guests before I start talking about their books. So just to kick it off, if you can tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up. <laughs> well, that's how the book opens. <laughs> so I grew up in New York, originally from the city. Our family moved upstate uh, to upstate New York and uh, – and then when I was 19, I got out of New York and moved to California and have lived in a couple of other states. I currently live in Texas. Um, and growing up kind of sucked, which was why I got out of Dodge and um, really kind of formed the foundation of where this book came from. So, and New York, people, you know, you hear New York and California, like, who would ever want to leave New York? And then who would ever want to leave California? They're so romanticized in our minds, these 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 places. Uh, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, that's a great question. So my original thing that I wanted to be when I was a kid was that I wanted to be an archaeologist. You know, and like, you know, a bucket list item is to go to Egypt and dig around in the sand and find something, you know, not a beer can, but, you know, like something cool, a little piece of pottery, something. Um, And then after that, you know, and I was still pretty young, I wanted to be a psychic. And so the reality is, is that I have worked as a professional psychic, medical intuitive, much of my adult career. And then when the whole kind of ancient alien thing started taking off, I wrote two books on that topic. And so kind of got back into my original love in life was looking at ancient cultures, ancient civilizations, and stuff like that. So I pretty much stayed on track. I'm pretty proud of myself for that. 
So how old were you when you wanted you knew you wanted to be a psychic and what what drew you to that? Um so by the time I was 12 I had read my way through the whole archaeology and anthropology department at the library. Wow. Uh, and and um and so at that time, and I really date myself here, on TV, there were two TV shows. One was The Amazing Kreskin, who was a mentalist, and he had ESP. And then there was a, another show, which was a series, which is called The Sixth Sense. So it wasn't the movie. It was actually a TV series that featured Gary Collins, and he used his ESP to solve mysteries. So, you know, kind of like you know, Columbo or Murder, She Wrote, or any of those kind of shows where, you know, they are trying to, you know, solve a murder or whatever, except he used his ESP as his investigative tool. And so that's what really got me interested in that whole topic. Wow. Interesting, interesting. It seemed like you found you found your path. I know you said you started your spiritual journey young right around when you were eight years old. It's just a, just a TV show. There wasn't anybody in your family or no one near where you live where you saw like a psychic sign in some house and you went in there and you maybe they told you something about what's going to happen to you and it came true and that what piqued your interest. No. From a, so did your parents, no. curious, did your parents attend like traditional churches, um like your background, it's just interesting that a child uh-huh. would pick that field. Uh, so so um, uh, I went to Catholic school till eighth grade. So some of the things you know, that I was interested in, uh, the nuns really didn't really improve uh, particularly. But, you know, I just still did my thing. Um, and... You know, they didn't really say anything, so our family was, you know, I like to say they were a sci-fi family. You know, my mom was a Trekkie, you know, and on Saturday mornings we'd watch Creature Feature, and, you know, I remember, you know, I was like 10, and my mom gave us money and sent us to the movie theater to go see 2001 Space Odyssey. You know, and so that was One Step Beyond and Twilight Zone. That was just what we watched and were interested in. And so, you know, kind of doing the psychic thing, you know, and we would watch The Amazing Kreskin and The Sixth Sense. And so it wasn't really tabooed per se in our house. I don't know that they, you know, at the time really appreciated what I was interested in, but, you know, they never said anything. It sounds like your 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 parents uh gave you the freedom I guess to develop into who you were you were meant to be which I think is a great thing. Tell us about natural health counseling. What's what's involved in natural health counseling? Sure. So natural health counseling, you know, so I'm a naturopath and so then the advanced degree was in I was in natural health counseling. And so a naturopath is someone that works with individuals using non-invasive methodology. So instead of recommending or prescribing a, you know, prescription, you know, an antibiotic or an antidepressant, they work with herbs and supplements and lifestyle changes and, you know, doing energy work is 
falls under that umbrella. Homeopathy falls under that umbrella. Massage, chiropractic, because they don't involve, you know, slicing and dicing and giving you chemicals to cover up symptoms. You know, it is more involved with what's going on inside of you and what can we do to actually heal your body. So it's just a very different approach to health and wellness. Ah, so but is a is a lot of that focus on, and we'll cover this a little more on the show. Is a lot more that focus on your energy or your thoughts in that that type of counseling. Um, you know, the work that I personally do. Um, you know, so I have a very firm belief that when we come up with something, you know, we have gallbladder disease, we get cancer, we have things going on, adrenal fatigue, um, that there's something going on in our lives that create that. You know, our thoughts, our emotions, things we choose to do, things we choose to not do. Um, and so with my clients, there's a lot of counseling, you know, but that counseling also covers making the recommendations for the supplements and helping the people come up with like diet plans or, you know, the whole lifestyle because, you know, in America, we're not really good at taking care of ourselves. We're really not. Mm. Um, you know, we rather take a pill than not eat the potato chips. And that's just where we're at. And so some of that counseling is about, you know, what can I do today? You know, and, and, and I'm sure you maybe have done this. I'm sure listeners have done this, you know, so you want to lose some weight, you know, or you want to be more healthy. And most people's knee jerk reaction is I'm going to clean out the cabinets and get rid of the chips and the cookies and, you know, that canned stuff or, you know, whatever frozen stuff. And, and be healthy and eat organic. And they last for about two weeks. And then they're yeah. done because it's just too hard. You know, and so I've tried to get people to do a different approach because it's a lifestyle change. You know, it's like, well, let's just try to, like, have a salad once a day, you know, or a piece of fruit, you know, and make it be part of your life and not something that you are just doing cold turkey because for a lot of people it just doesn't work. Mm. Okay. And so different approaches to help the healing without, like you said, the invasive surgeries, et cetera. Now can you tell us about the dysfunctional dance of the empath and the narcissist? What what are some of the topics that you cover in the book? Oh, you know, and I was sitting there just before we came on and said, man, I don't even have a, a book in front of me. Um, and so things that we cover. So the basic premise of the book is that people that end up in toxic relationships often have their own stuff that they bring to the table. And that causes them to get in the relationship in the first place. And so if your goal is to not keep attracting and getting involved with these not good people, then maybe, just maybe, you need to look at yourself and look at what's going on inside of you so that you can change who you are and then maybe make those changes in your life 
you know, so that you're not doing it anymore. Mm. So we, we attract, sense? something in us attracts, like a magnet, I guess, <laughs> it attracts uh, the, the people who show up in our lives. And I've heard people say that. They say when you change, the certain people in your life will just exit. They may move, you may move. Y'all just may stop keeping in touch. Something will happen, and that relationship will just break. And then maybe other people come come into your life, which is which it seems odd to us, but we, maybe we have more influence over what happens to us than we imagine. Can you give us some insight though on what an empath is? If we have listeners who are wondering, mm, I wonder if I'm an empath. Can you give some insight on an empath? What are some empath traits? You know, so people that are empathic, it, they're just very sensitive. You know, so if you uh, go into a room and you just feel the bad vibes or the good vibes, you know, you might be empathic. Or you might, you know, be somewhere and you're like, la, 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 I'm really happy. And then you get into a situation and now you're experiencing a lot of anxiety. You know, you might be just picking up what's going on. I mean, you know, and I'll use a good example. It's like right now the planet is in a very stressful place, a very stressful place. And whether, you know, your life might be fine. You might be working, you know, have food to eat, you know, all of those things that are the base of, you know, living. But you still might feel this weird anxiety and not really understand where it's coming from. And it's because as an empath, you're able to, and actually I'm going to back up, as humans, it's like we broadcast our stuff, you know, and kind of like a radio station, you know, we just send all our crap out into the universe. And so people that are empathic are more able to pick that up, to sense that from other people. And many times they end up holding on to it. Um, mm. You know, and so I like to give the example, um, and I think a lot of people, especially if you're an empath, can relate to this. It's like you need to go shopping and you, need to, you know you need to go to Walmart. So I don't know how you do in Walmart, but... And I've learned I have to go with a list, and then I go in the store, and sometimes I actually walk out of the store with everything on my list. Sometimes it's just kind of like, i got to get out of here because <laughs> I'm just getting overloaded. And then, of course, somebody in front of you in line is having some issue, and you're like, ah, ah, you know, and it's almost like your whole inside wants to just go tilt, tilt, tilt. Um, yeah. It's because you're just picking it all up. Ah. You know. What are some what are some and this wasn't a, a question I was going to ask you but for for listeners who might be in in impasse, what are some ways that empaths can let things go so uh, an empath isn't carrying other people's stuff or energy around with them through the, throughout the day that's or a, the week? A, a, that's a great question. You know, so one of the things that I suggest to people is to ask yourself, well, is this really mine? Because there might be something going on because, you know, 10 minutes ago I was in a really good mood and now I'm kind of cranky and snapping at people. 
it's like, what happened? I didn't do anything, you know, and nothing happened to me, but now I'm feeling this way, you know, and so asking, is this really me? You know, but then there's doing things that, you know, and I'm going to say meditative type techniques, you know, whether you sit down and close your eyes and meditate is a wonderful way of working with that. Um, going for a walk. Uh, you know, I like, and don't laugh at me, I like doing things, you know, so I'll go rake the leaves. If I'm really taking on too much energy, I will have the cleanest bathroom or the cleanest kitchen because I will just go and focus and just do and clean and scrub, you know, but even those kind of things are, are what are called active meditations. You know, you're using your energy and kind of burning off steam. You know, and I think everyone's had the experience where they've gone to the gym or, you know, and they're kind of in a bad mood and they just really get into their workout. And when they're done, they're like, hey, I feel pretty good. You know, and going to the gym is yet another way that you can go and kind of work through that energy. Ah, cause you're, and you're focusing. You're, generally, you're, you're Because you're focusing. focusing. Yeah, and you're not thinking of about anything, I guess maybe that could bother you. You're focusing on something, and it, that is, even as a writer, I've, I've experienced that. Or some people sit down and play the piano or paint, and you're just focusing, and before you know it, you, whatever was disturbing you is like it's gone, its effect is gone. Mm-hmm. So some of the signs of empath, the empath can just suddenly, they wake up in a happy mood, and they go into a crowd, and all of a sudden they're upset. It, it, you ask yourself, is this really mm-hmm. my energy? But that's sign up an empath, you can meditate, you can, like Lisa said, clean the bathroom or go exercise or go for a walk, et cetera, or do something artistic to help uh, get rid of some of that energy. But what are some signs of narcissism? I heard that all people have some levels of narcissism and more in the Western society, but what are some signs that maybe you've gone overboard with with narcissism? <laughs> um, so people that are narcissists tend to be very self-serving. You know, they view the world through their lenses and, you know, everything's about them. Now, everyone does have a little bit of narcissism in them because it's a kind of self-preserving act. It's like, well, I want to go and write a book, you know, so you use your energy to take care of yourself and meet your needs. Now, some people are way better at it, and they think that their needs are the only ones that are important, you know, uh, which is where we get into this dance, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, But they tend to be very eye-focused. They don't ever want to take the blame. They are unable to empathize with someone else. Um, You know, sometimes they can be very lazy, They have so many characteristics. Uh, Denise, when I was writing this book, okay, so I have been in a number of very toxic relationships with some very narcissistic men. And I'm working on this book for my self-healing, and I'm like, I didn't even know there were words for some of the crazy crap that they do. Um, Mm. You know, and so, excuse me? Now, I was going to say, this is the thing with narcissism, uh, the narcissist, I think I may have only met one narcissist in my life, but it's, they're very charming. 
very charming, very uh, charismatic, and and a lot of people love and adore a narcissist if if if, if you're not really really close in a relationship with them. They're very charming. They're very, I think, humorous. They're just like, in that way, would you agree? They're very charming, very charismatic. Well, one of the things about a narcissist is that they wear what's called a mask, you know, and so when they're out in public and they're with their friends, they're Mr. Nice Guy. They're great. And then you go home with them. Okay, so... In a, narciss- a relationship with a narcissist, there are three stages. The first stage is like the getting to know you stage, and they just act like they are just all about you, and they will talk to you on the phone forever and want to be with you and maybe talk about getting married really early on in the relationship, and it makes you feel like this guy is or, or girl is really freaking into me, you know, and so, and they use that charm to lure you in. But then once the relationship starts to mature and you find any fault with them, like, well, why didn't you take out the garbage? The mask starts to come down and you start to see the not-so-pleasant side of the narcissist. You know, and over time... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. You said over time. You know, and then over time, they... um, can totally transform from being this person that you fell in love with to somebody that you just can't even recognize until there's the until, until they want something from you or need something from you. Then they're like your bestest buddy. Wow. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, well, or, you know, like, you're tired of their crap, and you say, you know, well, we need to go to counseling, or you need to go, and it's like, you know, so they'll say, okay, well, you know, I'll go to counseling, and you go for one session, and they come with with 500 reasons why they don't like the counselor, and you just don't go again, but in the meantime, they've sucked you back into the relationship on the promise that they're going to go to counseling and try to work out with it, because narcissists are also consummate liars, they are, they are expert manipulators, um, and they'll keep trying to, in, in, a more dysfunctional, in a more dysfunctional relationship, they'll just keep sucking you back in. You know, so you hear stories of women that are physically abused and beaten, you know, and you wonder why do they keep going back? Why do they keep going back? It's like, well, they experience the abuse, but then the abuser puts that charm on. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't mean to do it. I'm so sorry. We'll go to counseling. I'll stop drinking. You know, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear so that you let them back in. And it might last for a little while, and then they just start back into their own self-serving behaviors. Oh, this this Because they don't really care about you. But but does the narcissist, it's a personality like disorder, and some like the label of a mental health disorder. Can they really help? Can the narcissist really help what she or he is doing? Can they really help it? Um, you know, so narcissism is a spectrum, and so when you get to the full-blown hardcore, 
there is a psychological disorder. Um, you know, it's a cluster B personality disorder that includes uh, borderline personality, psychopath, uh, narcissist, you know, and they all have very narcissistic traits as part of them. Um, usually a person that has a very narcissistic aspect to their personality, um, there were usually issues going on early in their life at, that caused them to create this persona. You know, so if you think about, you know, the screaming kid that, you know, wants the Xbox, wants to play the Xbox, what, you know, and the mom's like, no, 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 and the kid just, you know, has a temper tantrum, and the parent just says, and gives up. The parent gives up and says, okay, well, go ahead. You know, what that parent is doing is training that child to that if, if, I, if I keep bothering you, you're going to back off and let me have my way. Mm. Yeah. You know, so, and, th- and they just don't think that there's anything wrong with them. I mean, that's the thing. They don't think there's anything wrong. And usually in, with a narcissist, um, there's always some kind of underlying pain, trauma that they don't even want to look at. They don't want to touch. They don't want to address. And they don't want to fix. You know, so someone that's an empath, you know, or other people, it's kind of like, okay, I have this stuff going on inside of me. And they'll go to counseling and they'll work to fix themselves, you know, and, and deal with life better or whatever. But if you're a narcissist, there is, everybody else is the problem. And there's not anything wrong with you, so why would you need to go see a counselor? It's easier to go find somebody else than to deal with their own stuff. Wow. You know, our empaths, because empaths I always see as loving, caring, thoughtful people. Uh, are, they, are they, why in the world are empaths and narcissists not naturally attracted to each other? Why would these two seemingly polar opposites? be attracted to each other. But see, that's the dance. And so I'm going to make a, a little clarification. Okay, um, so in general, empaths are very sensitive people. One of the things that I found is that many empaths become very sensitive because they grew up in houses where there was trauma, you know, where there was a parent that was an alcoholic or, you know, there was a lot of abuse going on. And so, you know, imagine this scenario. You know, you're sitting there with your crayons and your coloring and you hear the door open. And now you sense, because you know, that dad just came home and it's after 7 o'clock, which means he's drunk. Mm. It's like... You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like you, you learn to grow these cat whiskers to detect what's going on in the environment as a means of self-protection. But because of that, the empath becomes wounded as well. So the narcissist is wounded. The empath is also wounded. And so people that are empaths, and I, I call them wounded empaths versus healed empaths. 
And it's the wounded empaths that tend to get involved with the narcissist. Um, you know, they learn early on that in order to keep the vibe in the house, you know, as pleasant as possible because they're very sensitive. And so if somebody's upset, it's very disturbing because they feel the upset that they're going to do what they need to do to try to calm things down, to have it be, you know, a still water again. And so they learn to be people pleasers. You know, they learn to try to take care of everything so that there aren't these spikes in emotions happening. And so when they grow into being adults, it's like they want to give, give, give. They want to take care of things. They tend to be very responsible. And the narcissist wants everybody else to take care of them, and they just want to take, take, take. They are the ultimate energy vampires. And so you have this wounded empath that wants to give, and you have this narcissist that wants to take, and it can be, in a very, very, very dysfunctional way, a match made in heaven. Ooh. In a very dysfunctional way. <laughs> I'm just saying... I'm just saying, but it's true. You know, and so the empaths don't really understand, well, why do I keep getting involved with these people? Why do I keep getting involved with these people? So many times an empath is filled with light and love and caring, you know, and even if they're healed, they're still going to have that energy. And it's kind of like a moth to a flame. You know, the narcissists are attracted to that wonderful energy that they emit. Uh, there's a woman, Lisa Romano, and one of the lines that she had, and I just love it, um, is that the difference between a wounded empath and a healed empath is that a, a healed empath might get involved with a narcissist, but they don't let him stay very long. <laughs> okay. Ah, you know, I mean, because, okay. you know, because you might get involved with someone that's a narcissist, you know, but once you figure it out, you know, if you value yourself, if you're healed, then you're going to be like, mm, no, you got to go. Yeah. <laughs> get out of here. And that kind um, of leads to my, my next question. I worked with somebody who I, I seriously think was the only person I met, I think, who had narcissism. Very charming, very, everybody just thought this person was just, Amazing, so much fun to be around, and but thankfully I moved on. I don't I don't work in that that group anymore. Um, but this colleague seemed to have a need for others to believe that they were very important and maybe more important uh, than others. And that was my first experience mm-hmm. with that ever. So for for off the shelf listeners who may, it's not a romantic relationship. It's their job. They may have the unfortunate experience of working with a colleague who has narcissism. What tips can you offer to that person? Fortunately, this person wasn't a manager, but even I can only imagine having a manager over you who has narcissism. But what tips can you offer to somebody who's in that type of a work environment? Um, Just really, one, watch your back because a person that's a narcissist will more than happily stab you in it. Um, 
and just be certain in your stuff, you know. So one of the things with narcissists is that you have to have very strong boundaries, you know. So if they ask you to do something that you don't want to do, you tell them no. Now, that will cause them to have a hissy fit because you just told them no. Um, but that's one way of, you know, dealing with them and just keeping your distance. You know, if, if you don't need to interact with that person, then just don't. You know, in yeah, a work you know, environment, it's just a little bit challenging. Yeah, that that you know that would be a very good book based on my experience. When you when it's like your job, <laughs> and you 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 love your job, you don't want to leave your job, but maybe do it through a transfer or they're a new hire or you you're in a different group, and you you have to work with this person who may have narcissism for a year or two, and everybody adores this person, so you. You, you don't have a lot of recourse. How do you how do you deal with it? Fortunately, I was able to, to navigate it while I was there. But that's a book for anybody who is stuck in that. That could see where that could be traumatic for some people. Can you tell us about different parenting styles? You you gave to one example of how the kids are crying, they screaming, they want something. The parent wants the child to stop. You know, just peace in the home. They give the child what they want, and the child starts to learn, oh, if I make enough upset, if I upset people enough, I'll get what I want. Can you tell us about some of the different parenting styles that could lead a person to be either an unhealed empath or or grow up and have to deal with narcissism? Sure. So um, one parenting style is, and I, again, I don't have my book, so I don't have like the, oh, here, right here, because I pulled it up on my computer. Um and so one parenting style is the authoritarian parent, you know, and basically these are the control freaks. And when, uh, so when they want something, so if they they have something that they need, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you need to just say, you know, well, how fast or how high, you know, or you ask, well, why? And they say, because I said so. And so, um, you know, they tend to use fear and punishment to control the child. And so children that tend to grow up with authoritarian parents, okay, so I'm not saying that an authoritarian parent is a narcissist, but they, they want their way, you know. So it's kind of, and it's all about the parent's needs. The parent doesn't really care about the child's needs. Um, you know, so they could end up growing up to be empaths, you know, or or wounded empaths because they have to give up who they are to the parent and what the parent desires. Um, you know, then there are permissive parents, and those are the ones that have a really hard, hard time saying no. And so those would be more the parenting style that the narcissist might grow up under. Now, I had some uh, friends whose parents were very permissive, but they actually grew up to be good kids because there were a certain amount of boundaries, and they also loved their mom, and so if she said no, which wasn't all that much, um, they respected it, and they didn't fight her, you know, and so, but I feel like if the parent doesn't have any kind of boundaries, that that's where that whole thing can open up and, you know, be messed up. Mm. 
you know, and then, you know, ideally, um, there are author- uh, I can never say this word, authoritative parents, you know, and these uh, parents listen to their children, they listen to what their needs are, they tend to be more uh, negotiating in their style. It's like, okay, well, if you want to do this, then I need for you to do that, or, you know, here's the boundaries around what you want to do. Um, and so these, you know, they set clear limits, but they're not, but it's okay for the child to fail um, versus the, uh, the other parents where there's an expectation that they succeed all the time. Um, you know, so those, this parenting style tends to uh, produce children that tend to be more balanced, more secure in who they are um, as they move forward. Ah, okay. Authoritative versus authoritarian. What are what are trauma bonds, and and how do they develop? Uh, okay. Well, okay. So if you're in a relationship, and I'm going to use a relationship with a narcissist, um, a trauma bond is it is kind of like an addiction that you get to a different individual. So when you're with a person who is narcissistic, you go through periods where they're very dismissive, they don't pay any attention to what you want or what you need, you know, they'll do things that are just clearly not right or not respectful or whatever, you know, they'll... You know, you, it it becomes, you know, clearly abusive physically, mentally, verbally, you know, whatever the situation is. Um, and so when that happens, there are actually chemical changes that um, occur inside of your body. You know, so when you're under a lot of stress, your body produces a, a lot of cortisol. But when that person turns around and says, oh, well, I really didn't mean to do that, you know, and I love you, and they kind of give the little lovey-dovey story, Um, that creates a lot of dopamine in the body, and that's the feel-good hormone. And so you can go from this highly stressful state to having your body overloaded with dopamine in the next minute. And so when you end a relationship with a narcissist, you know, so I'll go back to that situation where, you know, the woman was just beaten up. It's like now she's in that cortisol state. But then the husband, boyfriend, whatever comes and tries to reignite the situation or, you know, to reengage with that person they have the dopamine, and they just feel all of this love. And so the trauma bond is that they get stuck. You know, when they leave, their, their bodies are so hormonally dysregulated, you know, and they want to feel that loving connection, you know, that they had with the person that they were in the relationship with. And... It's, it's like an addiction, and actually um, I've seen several people make the comment that um, it is easier to 
break yourself off of heroin than it is to break some trauma bonds. Wow. You know, I'm listening. I mean, it can be that intense. I'm listening to you, and it's so insightful. And I'm thinking about a show I saw about a woman. She was in a domestic violence relationship, and now she helps other women who are in. And and how you keep going back. I mean, all this incredible abuse. And listening to you, it helps to make sense. I feel like what you're teaching or what you're sharing here on Off the Shelf, and I thank you and appreciate what you're sharing. And, again, I just hope that it it, is serves as a breakthrough for many of our listeners who might be in this situation. But um, I, I feel like it should be a part of marital counseling before you get married, that you have some type of training like what you're discussing. People have to just talk about these types of things even before so you don't get into situations where you're, you, you, you think you're doing a good thing for yourself and you're literally not only massing up your life, but your unborn children, you're setting them up for trauma, and you're making it so plain and easy to understand. I feel like it should be a part of, before you get your marriage license, before you have to go through this type of training, not only financial training and if you want to have kids about parenting, but uh, the type of what you're discussing so people can know, oh, you know what, I better back out of this. This relationship isn't isn't going to be good for me. But this this uh, I just think is what you're sharing is very important, and and you're saying it in a way that is new to me, and I can only imagine some of the uh, listeners. Can you tell us about the journey to meetum? Is this an easy journey? What is what is this meetum? It's rediscovering who you are. You know. So again, the preface of the book it really looks at the empath, you know, because basically if you're a narcissist, you probably would never read the book, you know, <laughs> or you would sit there and go, oh, well, I know these other people that are narcissists, even though like, you know, your significant other or a friend is like, here, you need to read this, you know, because never mind, they're a narcissist, uh, <laughs> thinking wow. they maybe would get something out of it, but they would just sit there and say, well, that's not me, but I know people like I know who this is. Um and so it's really to help the empath, the wounded empath, break the cycle, you know, and move mm-hmm. out of that, you know. And so the book, you know, it opens up with, okay, where did I come from? I need to look at who I am and my history and what got me to this place in the first place, you know. And then when you get to the journey to meet them. You know, so it kind of goes, okay, so this is me, but then it starts talking about the dynamic between the empath and the narcissist because you don't even know of what's going on until you have some brain food. You know, so, um, you know, and I'm actually working on doing an update to the book because I have more material. And so one of the things I was working on this past week was something that's called word salad. And so word salad is something an, a narcissist will use where you sit down and you talk, you know, you're trying to talk about uh, doing chores around the house or whatever. I mean, it doesn't really matter. And you try to make your point with them or try to come up with a resolution to an issue. And they'll just sit there and turn it around. It's like, well, what do you mean the dishes, you know? 
and, and it's crazy making. You know, they'll just kind of go around in these circular conversations and you just don't get anywhere. Or they start bringing in other stuff and it, it's crazy making. And, mm. um, and so, you know, I was totally going somewhere. Oh, but unless you understand that that's something they would do. Okay, all right, true story. I'm going to put in a true story. So I was with a gentleman. I don't know if he was a full-blown, had narcissistic personality disorder, or if he was just a really bad alcoholic. And I never knew. Couldn't tell. Couldn't tell. Because he hid his drinking a lot. And, um, and so he did like, take things like I had a pair of shoes that were sitting on the stairs to go up and, um, and they sat there for a while. Okay. And I come downstairs one day and there's one shoe on the stairs and I'm like, well, do you know where my other shoe is? Well, I haven't touched it. Well, why would you just leave one shoe on the stairs? You know, that had been there for like a week. And he goes, well, maybe, you know, Bitsy, my dog, maybe she took it. Uh, This is a nine pound poodle. She wasn't taking the shoe. And, uh, (laughs) And so, you know, when I bugged him about it, he was like, well, I don't know. Okay, so embarrassing as this may be, six months later, I was having a big party, so I was, like, scrubbing my house and taking everything off the bookshelves and dusting, and I found my other shoe behind pictures on the bookshelf. Wow. Now, how freaking bizarre is that, right? Well, then in my research, I found out that that is a form of gaslighting where they do things to make you feel like you're crazy and make you to try to doubt yourself. And in my research, it says, you know, yeah, they'll hide things and and be like, well, I don't know where it is. Wow. And it was like, holy crap. There's even a word for it. There's a word for it. That is Now, that is bananas. I ah, I think I'd be gone. I do that one time. You gotta go. <laughs> well, you know, but you can't really, you know, but you can't really like put your finger on it. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. just oh, no. weird. That is bizarre that somebody would do I that. I mean, I mean, now I know. Like if that crap happens, uh, they're doing that. Uh, yeah. Now, can you, you know, share a few tips? Some some of the ways out to, to to meet them for the for the unhealed empath, so you don't get so caught up, you know, like somebody that's like what you described. And uh, thank appreciate you sharing that. And they stay anyway, and they tell themselves, "Well, I should have just I should have put my shoes up when they told me to." But can you share a few tips on how we can practice mindfulness and 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 even begin to appreciate ourselves and. And, and make better decisions and manage our decisions better. But just a few tips on how we can practice mindfulness. Okay. Um, and actually, I don't mean to, like, divert your question, but I feel like at this point a better topic would be to talk about how to break the cycle and talk about learning to love yourself. Well, because, let's go there then. Let's, go, let's okay, talk about I, how I, I think that that's going to be more, you know, Because one of the things, if you're a wounded empath, is that you were taught more than likely to not honor yourself, 
you are more than likely taught to not value yourself because your job is to take care of everybody else around you. And so one of the ways to heal, one of the ways if you're in one of these relationships is to start asking the question, well, what about me? You know, what do, what do I need? Because usually it's like, well, they need this. They need this. And all of the energy is focused on them, and there's no energy focused on the self. And so it can lead to really bad burnout. Um, it can lead to a whole bunch of things. And so shifting that to, well, what do I need? You know, what do I want? What can I do today that's loving to myself? You know, like take a bath, go for a walk, buy yourself a Starbucks. You know, those are things that are loving to you. It can be one of the hardest things to do if you've never done it for yourself before. If all of your attention has been focused on everybody else in the world around you. And so if people find themselves in these types of situations, that's the thing that I would highly recommend what about me? What do I want? What do I need? You know, what can I do to love myself today? You know, and it could just be this little teeny thing. But it's loving. Because you stay in the relationship because you don't love yourself. Okay. Practice, practice more, more. It is practice. Enjoy. Allow yourself to have things, even if it's something small. And some people in a really severely abusive relationship might even have to hide what they might get themselves. Or, but just doing little things for yourself uh, in extremely abusive relationships that might take up some work. But I can see where, yeah, you have to just make a commitment that you're going to do some small thing. Show yourself that you do love yourself. Well, and I think if someone is in a really highly abusive relationship, you know, then they have to consider, you know, is this what I want for the rest of my life? Is this what I want to put up with and deal with till the day I die? Because that's really the choice you have to make is, is this okay? And is this how I want to spend the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Or is it not okay? And if it's not okay, then you really start, need to start kind of coming up with an exit strategy, and it becomes more challenging, you know, if you're in a really abusive relationship, you know, and something that you might have to do on the sly and, you know, get a bank account or get a friend to get a bank account or, you know, give a friend an envelope with money that you put into it. And, I mean, I've heard of some women that they exit the relationship and they move out of state because they don't want their ex-partner to find them. You know? Yeah. Um, Are there any other tips? You said uh, practicing self-love. They have to make an exit strategy uh, as far as breaking this cycle. You know, you talked about the, the chemicals that are released, you know, in the, our bodies with the dopamine and the the different chemicals when we're under stress and then when we feel good. Are there any other tips on how uh, we, we can break this, this cycle or this dance? You know, one of the other things is something that's called no contact. 
Um, and so if you choose to end a relationship with someone that's a narcissist, you need to do what's called no contact. And so that means you block their phone number on your phone. You have emails, go to spam. Now, there are some other rules if you have children together, you know, but this is the general concept. You block them on social media um, because every time they put a little heart on a Facebook post, now you just got a little dopamine drip. Mm. You know, and you sit there and you start looking for it. You wait for the text. You wait for another fix. Just like you want more heroin. You want the fix. But as we were talking earlier, they also got the charming thing going on. You know, and they'll try to contact you and be, you know, we'll work it out and, you know, and that whole thing to try to suck you back in. And so if you make it so that they have no way of getting a hold of you or pushing that little dopamine button in you, it gives your body the opportunity to start healing, to start correcting those hormonal imbalances that are going on inside of you so that you can start to recover. And it can be hard and it can be challenging because you're used to <laughs> those peaks and valleys in the relationship. Can you tell us about, as we come down to the last few minutes in today's show, what are some of the services that our listeners can get through through you, some of the healing works that you do at soulhealer.com? Sure. Um, and so I kind of spoke about this uh, at the beginning of the show. So um, I'm a naturopathic physician, so I work with people regarding a lot of health issues. But I'm also a psychic, you know, and in a more technical word, um, I'm a medical intuitive. And so a big part of my clients um, come to me because there's something going on. They have some kind of a health concern, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, um, that they want to get some insights into and then some guidance of how they can go and start healing themselves. Um, you know, so that might be, you know, uh, working with someone as more of a straightforward counselor and doing energy work like Reiki, if your listeners are familiar with a concept like that. Um, working with people with, again, herbs and supplements helping them to understand what's going on inside of them so that they can start making different choices in their lives. You know, so, and on my webpage, it gives some different, you know, ideas of stuff that people, you know, can contact me about as far as the different services. Um, you know, and it's just more of an idea, but I mean, I will talk to anybody about pretty much anything because when you do intuitive work in particular, you're really just opening yourself up to God and whatever, you know, the big G wants you to do or say, that's where I go. You know, it's not uh, about me and my opinion. It's about being the conduit of information of what that person needs to hear, blunt mm -hmm. as it may be sometimes. <laughs> where, where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books? So the book is available, you know, at any major retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all of those. Um, they can also get a copy off my website, soulhealer.com. 
You know, I will put in the caveat that if they get a copy from soulhealer.com, that it always comes autographed. So if you would like an autographed copy, um, then I would get it from my webpage. Okay. And are you on any social media? Can any of our listeners? Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Dr. Rita Louise on Facebook. So there's Rita Louise and Dr. Rita Louise. Please use the Dr. Rita Louise one. Um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Psychic Doc on Twitter, although <laughs> I'm extremely political on Twitter. So if you don't like politics, then don't find me on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. kind of a new thing. So. <laughs> okay. So Twitter and on Facebook, Dr. Rita, and her website, again, is soulhealer.com, S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com. Again, S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com. We have had the pleasure of having here with us on Off the Shelf this morning, Dr. Rita Louise, and uh, she is her specialty, she's natural health counseling, which we covered briefly at the beginning of the show. Books that she has written include Stepping Out of Eden, E.T. Chronicles, What Myth and Legend Have to Say About Human Origin, Avoiding the Cosmic Two by Four Dark Angels, An Insider's Guide to Ghost Spirits and Attached Entities, and The Power Within. She's also, which we which mainly focused on, the author of the book, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist. If you came in on the show midway or late through it and, and you you see yourself as an empath in relationship with a narcissist and it's traumatic for you, whether it's a romantic relationship or a parent. It could be a parent or a um, or a working relationship. I encourage you when the show finishes stream to go back and listen to it in its entirety in the archives and you can hit Dr. Rita up with questions. Again, she's at soulhealer.com. Thank you, Dr. Rita. Thank you for being here with us on Off the Shelf and Thank you to our listeners. As I always tell you, you are incredible. You are awesome and amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Dr. Rita, I'll shoot you an email with a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Oh, thank you.